please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. First Samuel 28, we covered the first two verses at, at the end of that last passage a couple weeks ago, so we pick up in verse 3. So First Samuel 28, from 3 to the end of the chapter. Please follow along as I read. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what, sh what, sh what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. I'm entitled this message, Without God When It Matters Most. November 17, 1968, do you remember where you were? No, some of you weren't alive, <laughs> including me for the record. <laughs> November 17, 1968, there was a football game on television, Oakland Raiders versus the New York Jets, and the Oakland Raiders were down the last 65 seconds of the game, and in nine seconds, they scored two touchdowns. Now, if you're a 
even remotely understand anything about football, you know how improbable that is. There's only one problem. In the last 65 seconds, the networks cut the game and went to the previously scheduled program, the movie Heidi, (laughs) about a girl and her grandfather who lived in the Alps. It's rather famous in football fan history. They call it the Heidi game. (laughs) Most of the time when a network cuts the regularly scheduled programming or cuts a program that you're watching, it's because there's breaking news and it's important. The interruption is key. In that case, the interruption wasn't that important. Heidi and her grandpa could have waited just 65 more seconds. I, I, I give you that illustration because there's an interruption in this passage. I don't know if you remember, because it was two weeks ago, <laughs> some of us, me included, forget things, uh, but two weeks ago, we ended with the passage that David had become the bodyguard for life of a Philistine king. And David and the Philistines, David being on their side, were going to go and attack Israel. That's significant in history. That's significant in biblical history. David is going to go to war against Israel as an ally with the Philistines. And then all of a sudden, interruption. We want to know, how does that end? How's God going to get David out of that situation? Is David actually going to go to war with Israel? And we're kind of, you know, we miss the mystery of it all because we know what happens later, but understand this as if you're reading it for the first time or if it's happening there at your time, if you were actually in that time period. What in the world is God going to do here? And then, interruption. A story about Saul. A strange story about Saul, right? How in the world is Samuel, who's dead, talking to Saul? What's the deal with that? And I want to go through this passage and highlight to you what this passage is trying to show us. Now, just a word of caution at the beginning, there's not a lot we know about all that's happening with Samuel and coming back from the dead or at least appearing to the woman and speaking to her and then to Saul. We just got to go with what the text tells us. The Bible doesn't care to reveal all the answers to the questions we may have because of that. But that account, that, that, that part of the passage we'll get to, is interesting, but it's interesting in light of the main point of what's happening around it. So I don't want you to miss the main point of what's going on here. That is going to be an interesting note, a very interesting note. I'll try to explain as much as I can about it. But I don't want you to miss the great theme of what the Spirit is trying to teach through this passage. All right? So this passage is showing us that Saul has lost communion with God, finally, so to speak. This is Saul's last hurrah. This is the last account before Saul and his son Jonathan are going to die. We're going to see that at the end of the book in just a couple chapters, chapter 31, Saul and his son are going to die, and it's prophesied here. It's actually going to be the same day that the Philistines come and kill Saul. Uh, That's going to be the same day as when Samuel gives this prophecy. So, This is the end for Saul, and it's this final dark passage about Saul's rejection of God, therefore God's rejection of Saul. That's what this passage is showing. We know that this has been a book about kings. This has been the section where King David, the king who God has appointed, has been before us. And as we see David come on the scene earlier in the book, we see him get closer to the throne and Saul get further away from the throne and further away from God, if you will. And this is the final dismissal of Saul from God's presence. God does not answer Saul. It's interesting in this book, when David goes to appeal to God, Saul answers, or sorry, God answers quickly. Saul goes to appeal to God, silence, and that's judgment. So that's what we're being shown here. Three problems for the person who repeatedly ignores God. That'll be our outline that we see as it comes out of Chapter 28, three problems for the person who repeatedly ignores God. Here's the first problem. The ignorer is ignored by God. 
The ignorer is ignored by God. Verse 3, now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him at Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. So right away we're given the setting to this. Samuel's died and that, that phrase has been used a couple of times now in the book of 1 Samuel. The reason being Samuel's shadow kind of hangs over the whole book. Samuel is the mouthpiece for God, we're told earlier in the book. He's the, the voice of God. He's the one who speaks for God. And that, that was a blessing to the people of Israel. But Samuel's died. And that's a problem. Because as Samuel dies, we don't have this clear voice from God. There's another reason we don't have clear voices from God at this point, because Saul killed a number of them. He killed priests who would be in charge of listening to what God said through the Urim and Thummim. We've talked about that before. So there's, there's kind of a silencing of God's voice here. We're reminded of it at the very beginning because we remember Samuel's died. This is a problem. And then we're told here that, that previously Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Saul obeyed the command in Leviticus 20 to, to put away those who would uh, give fortunes and communicate with the dead. God forbade that for Israel because the nations all around them did that kind of thing. And the message from God was, you have me who speaks to you. God is the creator of heaven and earth, and he's the one for this particular nation. You have access to me to guide you, my voice, my prophets, my word. So do not go after anything that the nations go after. Don't try to commune with the dead, talk to the gods. You've got the living and true God. That was what Israel was to understand. So Saul, as he often does, he does some things that God has commanded, but evidently not with his whole heart. So Paul put, Saul puts away the mediums and necromancers. Verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came in and camped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. So the Philistines are encamping. We're about to have this war. Remember, David's on their side, and this is a big deal. When the Philistines go after Israel, it's a big deal. Last time we heard about this, it was 1 Samuel 17, and David defeated Goliath on behalf of Israel. So th- this is significant. It's a problem. Philistines and Israel going to war. There's something big happening here. So Saul goes in and camps out Gilboa. He's on a mountain where he can see the the Philistine army. Now when he sees the army, he gets scared. Very scared. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. There's repetition there. Significant repetition there. Afraid, heart trembling greatly. He is freaked out. Because he sees the Philistine army. Verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. When you're scared and feel like the Lord isn't even talking to you. That's where Saul is. The Lord's not even answering him. Either by dreams, which is at this time how the Lord would often communicate. So no dreams. Or by Urim, the, the yes or no that the priests would get out of their vest, the casting of lots, yes or no, God, what do we do here? No answers. Or by the prophets, the main one, Samuel's died. So Saul is in trouble and God's not guiding him. God's intentionally not guiding him. He's not speaking to him. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium. Now, Don't we remember something from just a few verses ago? Didn't Saul put all of them out of the country? Didn't he end their business? Didn't he obey the Torah, Leviticus 20? Yes, he did. But now what does he do? Well, he's in need and God's not answering, so I'm going to do what I need to do. Seek out for me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there's a medium at Endor. It's the fact that we were told earlier that Saul had put them out is kind of makes, it makes this command of his, this, this tactic of his, this plan of his seem all the more pathetic, doesn't it? You know, if, if you're on a diet and you, it's one thing not to eat donuts, okay? But if you go into your pantry and there's a bunch of donuts there and you're like, no, you take them all out, you throw them in the trash, okay? Like, like resolve, and then three hours later, you know what I could use right now? 
And so you go and you dig in the trash. <laughs> That's more pathetic than if they would have been in the pantry the whole time and you just cheated and ate one. It's more pathetic when you throw them out and then go back after them. That's Saul here. It's, this is setting us up to see, Saul, what are you doing? No, Saul. But Saul does it. It's interesting, he would have had to actually be, based on where Endor is, he would have actually had to skirt the side of the Philistine camp to go and get to this medium. He's freaked out, he's afraid, but he's going to go after information in a way that God determines his people not to go after information, and he will do whatever it takes to listen to what this lady has to say. It's interesting, in Isaiah 8, Isaiah, a book about trusting in God, that's the theme of Isaiah, that God's people stop trusting in him. Isaiah 8 says this, it talks about going to mediums and necromancers. It says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and of the necromancers who chirp and mutter, you know, people who tell your fortunes and tell you what the dead are saying that they're always kind of do like this, because it's not so clear. It's a racket. Inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not a people inquire of their God, God says? So they're going to tell you, go and seek out all these people that can tell you divine information. Should not a people ask questions of their own God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? So this is God saying, I am the living God. Trust me by seeking after my guidance. That gives us kind of a background as to what Saul was doing. He's no longer trusting in God. He's not inquiring of God. He stopped trusting God before God stopped speaking to him. And now he's paying for it. The ignorer is ignored by God. And this is something that is part of God's character. We almost act sometimes as if God always owes us blessing all the time. And, and I say us as, when I say us, I don't mean the church, I mean just human beings, okay, just creatures in the world, people in the world. We act as if God always owes us everything. He doesn't. The fact that God has spoken to anybody is the grace of God. God chooses to reveal Himself to people, and that is gracious. His words, according to the people of God, are precious. They're more precious than silver or gold. And so there are people, His own children, represented by His church, His own people, His own children, love the Word of God, listen to the Word of God. But there are people who, who don't. They may even go through the motions of Christian things, but they don't love what God says. But then when they're in trouble and they turn to Him and there's seemingly no guidance, they attack God. God doesn't owe people anything, especially they keep rejecting Him. It is a theme in Scripture that one of the judgments of God is that He stops talking. The book of Amos, written to the people of the northern kingdom, Israel, now the kingdom's been split. It's a book to the northern kingdom, Israel. And Israel is wealthy, they're prospering, and guess what? They stop listening to God. In Amos 2, it says this, Israel says to the prophets, you shall not prophesy. So you've got these voices speaking out to the nation as the nation's in luxury and prospering. You've got these voices for God. They're quiet voices speaking out saying, this is wrong. Don't do this. Don't do that. And they're saying, shut up, prophets. We're rich. We're fine. Amos 7.12, there's a priest. There is a priest at Bethel, a priest who's supposed to be a priest for God. The priest said to Amos, O seer, which was another word for prophet, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. So it's not just the people saying, shut up, prophets. The priests themselves are telling the prophets to be quiet. What's the Lord's response going to be? Amos chapter 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, 
nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. God says, you keep rejecting my word, then I will stop giving my word. God is not obligated to answer the prayers of everyone. He answers his children's prayers. He loves his children. He answers our prayers. But he is not obligated to answer the prayers of those who reject him. This biblically is not controversial. In American culture, hugely controversial. We think that God owes us everything because of who we are and what we deserve. We're born deserving. I had a friend that was preaching away from his church. It was actually not in a church setting at all. He was preaching um, at an environment where there were a number of unbelievers there, also probably some um, Christians maybe who didn't have a great grasp on the Word of God. And, and he wasn't even talking about this reality, but in passing he said, you know, God's not obligated to hear the prayers of the unbeliever. Now, we do know that God hears the cries for mercy from an unbeliever. He responds to those. He teaches that. But just any old, God, help me with this, help me with that, guide me here, God's not obligated to answer those. Your posture has been one of rejecting Him. You're not His child. And so, He, he stated that. It wasn't controversial to Him. It wouldn't be controversial in His church. It's not controversial according to the Bible. But He went and sat down, and after His sermon, and His wife said to Him, get ready, get ready. And she, kind of reading the situation better than he did, maybe, was aware that people in this day and age have a problem with that. We think we deserve everything, God to always respond to us no matter what. And again, I'm speaking as the unbelieving world thinking this, people who kind of try to use God when it's convenient. And what happened after the service was over, there was a line of people and he got to open his Bible and walk through it and talk about that. This isn't controversial in Scripture. The fact that God would stop speaking to people who have long been wanting him to stop speaking. He does this. It's a reminder for us as Christians what a gift the Word of God is, right? What a gift every page of Scripture is. What a, what a grace it is for God to speak to us. I mean, someone woke you up this morning. You got up, and you came to hear the Word of the Lord taught, and you've sung Scripture back to Him and to each other. You've heard the Word taught, and you want to respond to the Word. That is the grace of God right there. So while this passage is so dark, I don't want you as a believer who loves the Word of God to, to feel, well, well, is this talking to me? This is, this is illustrating someone who's long ignored God. Okay, so don't take any undue conviction there. Maybe this passage would serve to help us love the Word of God and appreciate it all the more. That's great. But you have a God that speaks to you, and the pattern of this body has been to respond to the Word of God. Praise the Lord for that. That is not because we are amazing. It's because He's gracious. But we want to see at the beginning of this, verses 3 to 7, the ignorer is ignored by God, and that's a problem. There's a second problem for the person who repeatedly ignores God. It's this. The ignorer replaces God's guidance. The ignorer replaces God's guidance. Saul will go to find help from someone somehow, even if it's a way that God has said is sinful. But this is what we do. Again, we as just general people, we don't want to listen to God, but listen, we are always listening to someone. Everyone is always listening. Listening to themselves, that's not always wise. Listening to political pundits, advisors, philosophers, whoever it may be, we're always listening. We're always listening. As this world catechizes us, teaches us, we're always listening. So this ignorer of God replaces God's guidance. Verse 8, 
So Saul disguised himself, he had to to get around the Philistines, disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. He's also disguising himself because he has disallowed any mediums, but now he's going to a medium. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I shall name for you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul's done. This is illegal. King Saul told us we're not allowed to do that. How he, Saul, has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? You could get me killed. What are you doing by asking me to do this? Verse 10, but Saul swore to her by the Lord. That's serious. The Lord should die if something bad happens to you. As if Saul is anyone or or has the ability to speak on behalf of the Lord. But he assumes he can speak for the Lord. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. So interesting. Saul has had a pattern of not listening to Samuel. Now Samuel's gone. Saul is terrified, greatly terrified, and he wants Samuel to talk to him. When the woman saw Samuel, so she sees Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Now, now we don't know why she cried out. We could speculate. Samuel was, after all, Samuel. I mean, everyone knew Samuel. He would, again, I've told you this before, he was the prophet who had a national reputation. Most judges at that time, Samuel was a judge and a prophet, most judges were just regional judges. Samuel was the judge. He traveled all around Israel. Israel knew Samuel. He was the one that spoke for God. He was a high point in their history. So maybe it's, oh my goodness, I see Samuel. It's Samuel. Maybe it's, oh my goodness, this thing worked. I don't know. I don't know why she's freaked out, but she's freaked out. She cries out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. She knew right then, this is Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Someone divine. Again, the connection between Samuel and God. He's a prophet of God. He speaks for God. She's amazed here. I see a God coming by the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. Of course, the writer of 1 Samuel tells us that he's wrapped in a robe. He's been telling us all about robes all throughout the whole book. The robe was significant. The robe represented leadership. Samuel's mother, remember, dear precious Hannah would come year after year to the temple and bring Samuel what? A robe. Why do we know that? Because the robe's important. Samuel is a leader in Israel. Then we're told of Saul's robe. Saul's a king in Israel. And Saul sins against the Lord. He doesn't destroy the enemies of God completely. And Samuel says, your kingdom is going to be torn. And Saul grabs onto the robe of Samuel and tears it. And Samuel says, see the robe of mine that you just tore? God's going to tear your kingdom from you. It's significant. So she sees Samuel in the robe And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Verse 15, then Samuel said to Saul, so now Samuel speaks to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now again, right there, we've got, you know, if I said, okay, any questions, every hand would go up. I've got them too. Here's what I know. Samuel was disturbed by Saul trying to speak to him after Samuel had died. There you go. Samuel was disturbed. Evidently, it's better as a child of God to die and be with God and escape worldly affairs. That, that, that's good to know. I mean, I, the Lord doesn't tell us what Lazarus said when he came out of the tomb in John chapter 11, but I can only imagine and be like, why am I back here? Oh, leave me be. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And how did that happen? More questions. How did this whole thing happen? All we know is that God somehow allowed for Samuel from the grave to be brought up to speak to Saul and to remind him of what he told him when he was alive. 
Samuel had already told Saul of what would happen and how he'd rejected God. And he doesn't give Saul any new information. This is helpful to me. Samuel told Saul something while Samuel was still alive. Samuel's dead and allowed to speak. We get a window into that. And what does Samuel say to Saul? Same thing. The things that are true here are true there. We can know that based on that passage, this passage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Interesting, earlier the narrator told us that God was not talking to Saul through prophets, dreams, or the Urim. Saul says here, hey Samuel, God's not talking to me by prophets or by dreams. He doesn't mention the Urim. Why not? Because he killed the people who would determine what the Lord said by the Urim. So maybe this is Saul just kind of Let's forget about that whole murdering all those priests thing. He's not talking to me by prophets or by dreams. Get a little window there into Saul. I think if Saul would have truly been repentant, he would have said, and he's not speaking to me by the Urim because I destroyed the prophets. I have sinned. Maybe gives us a little window into the fact that Saul's not looking to be reconciled to God. He just needs God to solve some of his problems. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Verse 16, and Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, that's key, right? I've been telling you this whole chapter is framed around not listening to God, ignoring God. And here is where we get that from. Right in the middle of the passage, Samuel says, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Samuel doesn't give him any new information. Samuel's already told him all of this before. Nothing changes. Verse 19, moreover, I've got more to say, Samuel says. Here is a little piece of new information, the timing of Saul's judgment. We knew Saul would be judged before, but now Samuel gives us the timing of it. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. You and your sons are going to die tomorrow because of the Philistines. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So the people will be captured by the enemy, you will be captured by the enemy, and you will die at the hands of the enemy because you, Saul, have rejected the voice of the Lord. Saul, the ignorer, replaces God's guidance with forbidden guidance. God in his providence allows it to happen so that Samuel can speak one more final confirming word of judgment to King Saul. And again, I want to remind us as believers, we are those who listen to the Word of God. And I, would, I just think this is, just as I'm thinking through this this week, from my own heart, I'm thinking Colossians 3.16 keeps coming into my head. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Lord, keep teaching me. Lord, keep teaching me. Lord, make my heart soft. Lord, let your word be the fountain that waters my dry heart. Lord, keep teaching. I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to do what you say. I want to respond to you. Lord, thank you for any way that I have responded to you. That's all of your grace. Lord, keep teaching. That's the posture, I believe, that we should have here. And we're seeing the opposite of that in Saul. Listen to God. Obey God. There's a third problem for the one who ignores God. It's this final verses, 20 to 25, the ignorer is without God in the end. This is kind of the final statement on Saul before we read of him dying in chapter 31. The ignorer is without God in the end. Verse 20, then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear. That's now the fourth time 
that we're told of Saul's fear in this chapter. Filled with fear, he falls down to the ground. He, he just collapses because he's just been told, you're going to die tomorrow and so are your sons. And Israel's going to be brought to the hands of the Philistines. Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. For he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Now it's interesting to note there that this is kind of depression language, right? Filled with great fear, falling to the ground, paralyzed, can't do anything. Some of us have been there. And notice there's a spiritual component to it and a physical component to it. Because of what God has said that is troubling Saul, but also he hasn't eaten. So both of those things kind of combine to bring Saul face down to the ground. And the woman came to Saul, this medium, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, behold, listen, I've obeyed you. Your servant has obeyed you. I've taken my life into my hand and have listened to what you've said to me. I did something illegal that I could die for. I served you. Now, therefore, 22, you also obey your servant. You listen to me. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. Listen, King Saul, let me feed you. I did what you said. Do what I say. Please eat. He refused and said, I will not eat. Again, he's in despair. Yes, he hasn't eaten all day. Most of us would be hungry, but he's in despair, so he doesn't, he can't eat. Hasn't eaten, doesn't want to eat, he's in despair. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. So gets up off the ground, goes and sits on a bed. You can almost picture his guys guiding him to the bed. Just sit here, Saul. Just sit here while she makes some food. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house. This is feast language. She had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose, then they rose and went away that night. So you get the picture. Saul just brought low because of what God has told him. Won't eat. He's discouraged. They finally get him to the bed. She does all this work. And, and in the language of, of the writer, it's quickly. But how quick would this really have been, right? Killed the fattened calf, gets the flour and the bread. I mean, just it would have taken some time, but she's, we know that, but she's speeding through it. She's trying to help her king. And finally, Saul and his servants eat, and then, it's interesting, it ends with a sentence, then they, ro they rose and went away that night. We know where they're going. They're going to war, and we know what's going to happen within 24 hours. He's going to die. It's this final, depressing meal that he had to be talked into because he knows what's coming. I mean, they eat this feast, this fattened calf and this bread, and you don't picture Saul walking out like, let's go. Belly full, head down. The ignorer is without God in the end. The next thing we'll read about Saul is about his death, how he dies, at the hand of the Philistines. In a way, you could say this is right here, Saul sitting on this bed, is Saul's deathbed experience. Sitting on this bed, probably thinking of what Samuel had told him, thinking of all, <coughs> all the ways that he had disobeyed God throughout his life. And he's brought to this point, nowhere to turn, has to be talked into eating, and then he gets up and he knows what's going to happen very soon. You know, you think about, I don't know how much you think about it, hopefully not a lot, the worst way to die. The, the worst way to die. I mean, some people have phobias, fears, small spaces. That, that's not really one of my fears. Public speaking, okay, I would die if I had to go and talk in front of five people, whatever it may be. Mine is a fear of heights. I don't want to go that way. Okay, I do not like heights. I mean, this is 
a little much for me, but okay. This, what's the worst way to go? I know it's kind of depressing. But I'll tell you the worst way to go. The worst way to go is to be sitting on a bed knowing that you are without God and being in great fear. That is the worst way to go. And that's what Saul has here. Sitting on a bed, on his deathbed, if you will, without God, who has stopped talking to him because he has long since rejected God. And again, because of the language of the text, you don't get the idea that Saul wants to come back to God. He just wants God to fix his problems. He is not going back to his God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that would be defined as being without God. I want to remind you of something in light of this passage that Jesus actually said. Jesus, God's son, the capital P prophet. God sent another prophet later on in Samuel. Deuteronomy, the prophet Moses said there's a prophet coming who's going to finally speak for God. Hebrews chapter 1, which is written after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Hebrews chapter 1 said that long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke by the prophets. Now, today, He's spoken to us by His Son. His Son's the last prophet. His Son's the last one to listen to. Jesus, (coughs) the prophet of God, the Son of God, said these words. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear these words. Jesus said, the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Now, if you come to Jesus just to fix some of your problems, but you still reject Him, He doesn't respond. But if you come to Him asking for mercy, the biblical phrase is calling upon the name of the Lord. If you need mercy because of your sin against Him and you call out to Him, He says, the one who comes to me like that, I will never cast out. There will be an audience for you. I hope that gives you comfort today. Jesus Christ came to die the death that you and I deserve. He rose again to give you life, eternal life. You don't need to be worried about what happens beyond the grave. The New Testament would teach you that. The Old Testament would teach you that. You trust in God. You would not need to be worried about what happens beyond the grave. The one who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. I want to give you at the end, some comparisons of two different people. The writer of Samuel gives us comparisons between David and Saul. Saul, consider Saul, troubled, sinful, and no repentance. Again, don't think that him wanting to hear God's voice is a sign of him, wanting, a sign of him coming back to God. He wants God to defeat the Philistines. He wants to know what to do. He's not looking to come back to God. So Saul sins, he's troubled, and there's no repentance. Consider David. Saul is the the picture of the bad king in the book of Samuel. David is the good king in Samuel. But guess what happens in 2 Samuel? David sins. Saul puts the nations in harm's way. David puts the nation in harm's way in his sin. David sins also against the Lord. So it's not as if Saul sins and David's perfectly righteous all the time. That's why David goes to heaven. That's not it. Saul sins, David sins. Saul sins, troubled, no repentance. David sins, he's confronted by the sin, by the prophet of God, Nathan, the voice of God speaking to David, you've sinned against the Lord. David's very next words in 2 Samuel I have sinned against the Lord. He acknowledges it. He admits it. Guess what the prophet of God says right after that? The Lord has forgiven your sin. God listens to a true confession of sin. He responds to that. We see the difference in David and Saul. I'll remind you, First and Second Samuel were written as one book. We're the ones that divided them up. They're written as one book. So in this one book, you see Saul's sin fail to repent. You see David's sin. He repents, he confesses, and God forgives him. Let that be a message. The, it's not that 
if you sin, you'll go to hell or be removed from the presence of God. That's everybody. The amazing thing is there are sinners who have their sins forgiven who will be in the presence of God. Everyone is sinned. The question is, what do you do with that sin? You bring it to God and ask Him for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He responds and you commune with God forever. I'll give you another example as we end. Two more sinners, Judas and Peter. The end of Jesus' life, last days of His life, Judas sins. And it's interesting to note, go back to verse 25 again. This medium puts the meal before Saul and his servants and they ate. And I told you that last sentence was interesting, right? Then they rose and went away that night. Listen to what John 13, 30 says about Judas. Now, after receiving the morsel of bread, you know, now see the connection. The medium saying to one who has rejected God, even the king who's rejected God, saying to her king Saul, let me give this feast to you. Just please eat the fattened calf. Please eat the bread. See the grace that's happening there? Just, just take this and eat it. Judas partook of the Last Supper with Jesus. Judas had his feet washed by Jesus that night, the night before Jesus died. Now after receiving the morsel of bread, speaking of Judas in John 13, 30, he immediately went out and it was night. Same language. Someone who failed to listen to God repeatedly, someone who betrayed God in the end, receives the grace of God. God has been kind to him. He still rejects and he goes out at night. We know that Judas would be overwhelmed by his sin later on and would not go back to Jesus to deal with it, but would take his life. Peter, that same night, partook of the feast, partook of the Lord's table, ate the bread, drank of the cup, and then Jesus was arrested. Peter fled, left him. You could say betrayed him. Peter denied him later on three times. Peter also had sinned against Jesus. And what do we see at the end of the Gospel of John? Peter sees Jesus on a shore, recognizes it to be the risen Savior, and he jumps out and he swims to Jesus. You could say he brings his sin to Jesus. He goes to Jesus, desires that restoration with Jesus. Saul isn't desiring restoration with God here. Peter sought restoration with God. David sought restoration with God. The message for us, we're all sinful Go and seek restoration from God through Jesus Christ. There is a way to die with hope. I don't want anyone to have that deathbed experience that Saul had. There is a way to die with hope. In this month's Banner of Truth magazine, there's an article written about a 33-year-old pastor who died in Scotland in the 1800s. Why is that important? because it tells us about his deathbed experience. John McLaren, pastor in Glasgow in the 1800s, died at 33 years old. On his deathbed, he wrote this to a friend. He said he recognized that his 33 years were the same amount of time, roughly, that Jesus spent on the earth. He was just reflecting on that, the similarities between him and Jesus. He then, as you'll see, reflects on the differences between him and Jesus. Listen to what he says. My 33 years life, what is it? A garment, ragged and filthy. It cannot cover my nakedness. Instead of that, it excites God's abhorrence. Its rags and filthiness appear all the more in contrast with that wondrous life of Jesus. That's discouraging talk. But oftentimes, being near death gets us to think clearly. And he clearly saw the difference between him and Christ. But then listen to this. He says this when he talks about Jesus' life. He said, it, Jesus' life, it was a perfect garment, but white. And Savior comes near to me and offers to take my 33 years and annihilate them. 
so that they shall be as if they had never been. And give me his own 33 years, marvelous life instead, to take my ragged and filthy garment off my back and bury it in eternal forgetfulness and clothe me from top to toe with his own fair robe. All my life of sin he will wash away with his blood and over me with his perfect obedience. How perfect, complete in every point in which mine has failed. That's how you die. You trust in the righteousness of Jesus for you. Listen, I hope that you do not find encouragement from your own good works when you're on your deathbed. Do not say, I was better than my neighbor. Don't say, well, I was better than that guy or that lady. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life found in Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus came to take our rags and to give us his robe of righteousness. That's what you trust in so that you can close your eyes and forever commune with God. Let's pray. Father, use 1 Samuel 28 in whatever way you need to use it in our hearts. Preach to us. For some, there may be conviction and a call to wake up and to go back to the Creator for restoration. For others in here, I pray that there's an encouragement. God, you opened our eyes. You opened our ears. We had no ears to hear your voice. We did not know your love within but you've opened our ears, you've opened our eyes, you've caused us to listen to you, to respond to you. You've caused us to trust in your own son's righteousness. So Father, I pray that that communion with you, not just in heaven forever, but even today would be sweet. You listen to us, you teach us, you guide us. We have you to speak to us. What a gift that is to us, Father. We pray a prayer of thanks in the name of Christ. Amen.